Those are hard words. Those are confusing words. Those are difficult words that we've just read. But we come confident that they are words that are from you. They are words that have been given to us by your Holy Spirit. And so we do believe that they're valuable. We do believe that there is good here. We believe that there is life here. And we need your help to know that. So would you give us clarity? Would you give us humility to hear what you want to say to us? Holy Spirit, would you change us during this time? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Seattle Symphony has become famous for being willing to perform pieces of music that most orchestras avoid. And especially their willingness to perform new compositions. uh, Compositions that don't sound like what we think classical music should sound like. And a number of years ago, or a few years ago, the Seattle Symphony, as a part of their marketing and branding, adopted a slogan. And this slogan is to invite their audience into these more difficult works of music than they're used to hearing. And so they invite their listeners to listen boldly. I'm going to steal that slogan for our time in Ecclesiastes. If we are going to survive this book, we will have to listen boldly. Ecclesiastes is a weird book. It will disturb us, it will confuse us, and it will surprise us. And you know what? It's not just Ecclesiastes. The Bible is a weird book. It's funny to me how we try to ignore this sometimes. And so we take the story of Noah, the story of a lot of people drowning, and we paint pictures of it on our church nurseries where we put our young children. The Bible is a weird book. It is a strange book. Ecclesiastes is a strange book. But what I want to say to you this morning is that it is a good weird it is, a, it is strange, but it is a strangeness that we need. And so we must learn to listen boldly. We must learn to listen with a willingness to be shocked, to be disturbed, to be challenged, and to be surprised. Now why would we want to do that? Why would we want to approach this book? Why would we want to approach Scripture, which is so strange to us and to our culture? Why would we want to listen boldly? Well, I want us to consider the opening of the book of Ecclesiastes, these first 14 verses. And I think we can find here two reasons. Two reasons why we should listen boldly. We should listen because of what is said in this book and because of who says it. So the message and the speaker. First of all, the message. Hevel, Hevelim, verse 2 opens, and that is the message of Ecclesiastes. The Hebrew word Hevel is the message of this book. It's what this book wants to say to us. It says all of life is Hevel, and it's not just Hevel, it is Hevel, Hevelim, which is the superlative. 
And that means life is not only hevel, it is, it is the heaviest. But what does that mean? Well, my translation says that it means vanity. Some other translations, like the NIV, uh, say that it means meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless. All of life is meaningless. And I think both translations leave something to be desired. Because the Hebrew word hevel usually describes and talks about a mist, or a fog, or smoke. And we need to remember that this is poetic language. And so the author here is using a metaphor, and we need to let it be a metaphor. He is not saying that life is meaningless. He is saying life is like, well, it's like, you know, that one day in Tallahassee where it's cold enough to see your breath? It's like that. It's like breath that comes out and you can see it and then it's gone. Life is like a mist that is here and then it's not. It's like a puff of smoke that you are not able to to grab a hold of. You can't grasp it or control it. That's what he means when he says life is heaven. It is uncontrollable. It is beyond our grasp in many ways. And there's a phrase here that expands on that meaning. We see it in verse 14, and it occurs throughout this book alongside of this Hebrew word hevel. It's the phrase striving after the wind. All of life is vain. It's hevel. It's, it's a striving after the wind. And that word striving is the word for shepherding. And so he says life is hevel. It's like a mist. It's like trying to shepherd the wind. It's like trying to control the wind. This is a message of limitations. This book says to us, you may want to control your life. You may want to be able to shepherd the wind, to be able to grab a hold of the mist, but you can't. There are things that you cannot do. There are things that you cannot know. And while he does not say that life is meaningless, he does connect these limitations to frustration. That because we cannot get a hold of life, because it is a mist, it frustrates us. It bothers us. It disturbs us. So in verses 3 to 7, he describes the repetitive patterns of nature. People live and die. The sun goes up and comes down. The wind goes round and round, and the water goes round and round. And then he says in verse 8, all of this is wearisome. It is exhausting. Why? Because as we look at the world and the repetitive patterns of our world, we cannot fully grasp them with our senses. So he says the mouth cannot utter. The eye is not satisfied. The ear is not filled. We cannot fully perceive our world with our senses. And then he goes further in verses 10 and 11. Not only can we not understand our world fully, but we are limited in how we can impact that world to the changes that we can make to that repetitive world. So there is nothing new under the sun you will die and be forgotten. And that leads him in verse 13 to say, 
Life is a sad business. It is a heavy business. It is hard, it is frustrating, because we want to shepherd the wind, and we can't. My son Sam is around nine months old, and he is right on the transition point between not being able to move and being able to move. And he so wants to move, but he's not quite there yet. And he gets frustrated with that. The, the few things he can do is he can sit up and he can spin in a circle. He can move his feet and he can spin in a circle and he can back up a little bit. And that's all he's got. And last week I heard him yelling uh, from the other room and being a dutiful father, I went to check on him. And he had a circle of toys around him that he had, he had pushed away by trying to grab them. And he was sitting and he was spinning in a circle and he was leaning over and trying to grab it and he was grabbing wind. He's grabbing air, and he was yelling in frustration as he went around trying to grab these toys and leaning and grabbing air. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. (laughs) That although Sam will grow and hopefully he'll learn to crawl and walk and run, he will always come up against an edge in his life where he reaches out and grabs air. And that is not only true of him, it is true of you. You will encounter this week things that you cannot control. Things that you struggle to understand. You will experience this week the frustration of trying to grab a hold of smoke and having it slip between your fingers. That is a hard message to hear, isn't it? That's why we have to listen boldly to Ecclesiastes. This is a difficult message for us to take because deep in our cultural identity is a desire to be unlimited. You know the story of Pecos Bill? Pecos Bill is this great folk tale from the westward expansion of the United States. Pecos Bill is a mythological cowboy who was raised by wolves. He uses a rattlesnake as his rope and lasso. And most famously, Pecos Bill, with that lasso, was able to tame, the story says, and ride a tornado. And that is more than just a silly folk tale. That is a foundational myth for us. It is a foundational story for how we want to see ourselves. We want to be able to shepherd the wind. We want to be able to control our lives and our world, and we want to be able to fully understand our lives and our world. And this book says to us, you can't. And the reason that you struggle so much with anxiety, with frustration, with anger, with sadness, is because of the illusion that you can be Pecos Bill. That you can shepherd the wind of your life and world. And this book says to us a hard truth, but it is a truth that is good for us. It is a truth that we need. 
why? Why would we want that truth? You can understand why we need to listen to Ecclesiastes boldly, but why would we want to? Why would we want to hear this downer of a message? Right? Thanks, Pastor, for the inspiring word this Sunday. Why would we want to receive this limiting truth into our lives? Well, we need to consider not only what the book says, but who says it. We've seen the message of the book, and it is a message of limitations, but who speaks these words? Who says these words? Who is the speaker in this book? Well, verse 1 and verse uh, and later in verse 12, uh, our text tells us that the speaker of this book is a royal teacher. Okay, it calls him, in my translation, the preacher. The Hebrew word there is kohelet, and it simply means one who assembles people and talks to them. Okay, so like a preacher, like a professor, a teacher, someone who gets together a group of people and teaches them things. And there's an implication of authority in that word, and that implication of authority is expanded with the other titles that the speaker is given here in Ecclesiastes 1. He is called, he's, it's said that he is he's a king, he's the son of David, and he's the ruler in Jerusalem. So he is not only a teacher, but he is a king. And traditionally, this book has been associated with Solomon the son of David, the one who did rule in Jerusalem. We can't say for sure that he wrote it, but it's connected to him and to his wisdom because the book talks a lot about wisdom. It's been connected to him. But what's important about these titles of being not only a teacher and a king is to remember that the kings in ancient Israel were representatives of God. That if they were faithful to their vocation, they spoke for God. Their job was to lead the people of God to do the will of God. All of that to say, as we hear these words, we need to hear them as coming from someone who has divine authority and wisdom. But still, why would we want to listen? We're scared of authority, aren't we? Why would we want to receive someone who claims to be a king? Well, because the voice here in Ecclesiastes is not only the voice of a royal teacher, it is the voice of a shepherd. Remember David, before he became king, what was his vocation? He was a shepherd. And because of that, that vocation was connected to kingship in the Old Testament. That kings, in their job and what they were supposed to do, are described as shepherds. They are supposed to shepherd the people towards God. They are supposed to shepherd the people towards the life and joy that they can find in the presence and in the will of God. And that's what's happening in the book of Ecclesiastes. We are being shepherded. If you go to chapter 12, we won't turn there right now, but you can look there later. It talks about the words of the wise. This is the end of Ecclesiastes. The words of the wise are like goats. And goads are sharp sticks that shepherds would use to poke the animals to head them in the right direction. So the words of Ecclesiastes, they are sharp. They are painful. They are difficult. But they are instruments 
in the hand of a shepherd who is leading us to God. Who is leading us to the ultimate shepherd. He is leading us to the one who will give us life and joy in the midst of the frustration of our vaporous lives. You see, the teacher says to us, you cannot shepherd the wind because he wants us to know and worship the one who can. He says to us, you are not the shepherd, but there is a shepherd and he is good and he is powerful and he is just. He takes away from us the ability to control our lives and to fully understand our world. And then he gives that to God. And he says, worship the one who is full of power, who is full of knowledge and wisdom. And that's why we need to listen boldly to Ecclesiastes. Because not only does it limit us, but it takes us to a limitless God. It takes us to the one who is good, who is powerful, and is just. And that is not only true of the book of Ecclesiastes, but that is true of all of Scripture. And so in Ecclesiastes, we're reminded that the shepherd's staff is not ours. But we keep reading in the Bible, and we come to the New Testament, and we find that the shepherd's staff belongs to Jesus. The one who is God in the flesh. The one who is the Son of God. The Son of David. The one who says of himself, I am the good shepherd. You see, Jesus was born and he lived and he died and he rose from the dead so that he could take you, a limited, broken human being, and lead you to life and joy in the presence of His Father. Jesus gave Himself to be your shepherd because you cannot be a shepherd for yourself. John Eliot Gardner is a British composer and he has spent his career doing the opposite of the Seattle Symphony. He has spent his career devoted to old music to playing old music, and to doing it in a unique way. Because for many, many years, orchestras and ensembles would play this old music, but they would play it with new instruments. So technology had developed and had supposedly improved these instruments. And what Gardner said is, well, what if we take this old music and play it with old instruments? And everybody thought he was crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you be regressive? We've improved these instruments. Why would you go and play with these old instruments? But he did it anyway. And it exploded in popularity. Because what he and others found is in the limits of those old instruments, the difficulties of those old instruments, there was a sound. There was a beauty that we had lost. There was a beauty that you didn't hear in the modern instruments. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we have a lot of old words. And these old words limit us. 
And they are not limits that we choose. They are limits that belong to us because we are created, and they belong to us because we are broken by sin. So we find old words that limit us. But if we will give ourselves to these old words, we will find a beauty that we have lost. If we will give ourselves to these difficult words, we will begin to hear the voice of the shepherd, the one who leads us to life. We can embrace the limitations of Ecclesiastes because in Jesus we have been embraced by the one who has limitless power and grace and goodness for us. So would you join me in listening boldly to this book? Would you join me in listening boldly as a community to Scripture? Because as we do, as we give ourselves, we will hear the life-giving voice of our Shepherd. Let's pray.